You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Live. It is Thursday night, October 28th, the year of our Lord, 2021. A little bit delayed tonight. And look at our little friend in front of me. If you're listening on podcast, this doesn't really matter. But if you're watching this little silver mic, it's normally, dare I even say, a prop mic. Well, as you can tell, we're actually using this bad boy tonight. So a few audio issues, as is usually the case when you move into a new house like we just did. But we are jam-packed. As always, we are high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, what if every opinion doesn't matter? Let me just start the show with that tonight. What if every opinion doesn't matter? And second part to that, what if there really are a lot of moving parts? We will discuss in due time tonight. We've got several more week nine picks, several games that we didn't get to the other night. We will get to tonight. Uh, Also, this deal with James Franklin at Penn State, some uh, what uh, some people interpreted as coded language coming from the head coach up there in state college. I did not take it that way at all. I thought the guy was as brutally honest as any coach that we've heard all year. It's just sometimes you can only say what you can say. So I'm going to talk about that. Also, just some pure absurdity on the whole playoff expansion front. And it's not that we didn't tell you it was coming. We just don't enjoy the I told you so mantra around here. So we're not going to do a whole bunch of I told you so. Maybe just a little bit of I told you so. But there is some hot garbage floating out there today about the expansion from the expansionists, which we warned you about kind of like the clown down in the sewer. It looks fun. Everyone loves clowns until you get down there and then you realize they got sharp teeth and they mean ill will towards you. At Late Kick Josh, obviously, if you were on there about two hours ago on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, Instagram the same, you caught two of our Ramen Noodle Express picks for tonight's games. I don't always know when we're moving on those. Sometimes we're waiting on line movements in order to move on them. Well, obviously, I couldn't wait for the show tonight, but I had been waiting on line movement all week. We got it. We moved. You got to be following on there or you miss a lot at late kick Josh. Uh, also, speaking of those Instagram and Twitter channels, the pregame scene at Michigan State Saturday is going to be wild. I've been talking, as I said, to Michigan State throughout the week. Those people, just to thank you in advance to them, they have been over backwards to help us out. So just God bless in all caps the folks at Michigan State because they got a lot on their plate. But we're going to be up there, as usual, the Instagram channel. That story on the Instagram channel will be lit up, and you're going to get to see firsthand what it's like there. And I imagine it will be a zoo, but in a very, very good way. So make sure you're following there. Also, Friday Night Lines on Instagram Live. So a lot of stuff happens there that doesn't always happen on the show or on the podcast for many reasons. So make sure you're uh, checking that out. I'm going to do something different tonight because I robbed you guys the other night. I promised you that we were going to do Ramen Noodle Express at the end of the show, and then I just forgot, as I sometimes do. As you see, I don't have a co-host sitting here to remind me, and Director Colin can only yell in my ear so much. So we're going to start with Ramen Noodle Express tonight. And as I said, we added two of them, so two of them are in play right now. But let's take a look right quick, so you know that we moved on Auburn earlier in the week. Now, we got Auburn when they were at pick. Auburn has moved all the way to three, minus three. I think they're minus two and a half right now. For the record, we do still like it at minus two and a half. I don't want you moving on three right now. You can shop around. You can get some two and a half, but you really... Really needed to get that thing when we were on it at pick. Boston College plus six. There's a better number out there right now. You can get six and a half. But BC is going to Syracuse. We like Boston College plus six. Oregon minus 23 and a half. It was very important to move on this one when we did. We like it at 24. Do not move on it at 24 and a half. 
Charlotte, new pick here. Charlotte plus 18 and a half. They're on the road at Western Kentucky. And Coastal Carolina, we're on minus 16 and a half. And Eastern Carolina, we're on minus nine. Both of those games happening tonight. So there you go. We left it off the end of last show. So therefore, we leave this show with it. I have got to start not with predictions for week nine, but we got to start the show talking about something that you guys have asked me to talk about for a little while, and I've put it off as long as I can. But here we go. It's back in the news. So college football playoff expansion, to be specific, was in the news today. And when someone tells you it's going to be easy, you just need to turn and you need to run as fast as you can. It's never easy. It's taken this long for a reason. But some of the expansionists told you. How many models? Think about this. How many proposals did you see? How many graphics did you see floating around out there on Instagram or Twitter? And it just showed you, here's how easy it would be. Make it an eight team. Make it a 12 team. Here's who gets included. Here's who doesn't get included. Here's the criteria. It's not that easy. As James Franklin would say, we're going to talk about this later in the show, a lot of moving parts. Well, you've been trusting the expansionists to lead you in good faith. They're not leading you in good faith. Just the latest example came today. I'm going to show you in just a second. I just want to reiterate. Okay, I'm, a, I'm against playoff expansion for several other reasons, but I've gone down that road a million times with you. I don't want to make it a million and one tonight. I do not believe the postseason represents college football. I'm all about the regular season doing it. I don't really care about the end of the season as much as many do. But put that aside. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that got said today and letters. Notice how it's always in the form of letters. Letters got written today. Just remember, as we tee this up, I've always tried to remind you, you, even those of you who want playoff expansion, I don't doubt you want what's best for college football. We just disagree on the format. But there is another group out there. Ironically enough, it's kind of the group that's going to decide things. Do not assume they want the same things we do, because in many cases they don't. And it is my humble opinion that they have fooled some of you, and they're trying to do it again, into thinking what is best for the sport is expansion and this and that, yada, yada, yada. It's what's best for them. It's not what's best for the sport. Reasonable minds can disagree there. But I think we will come to some common ground on these particular folks having no business with their hands on the steering wheel. So here's the big shocker today. The big shocker today was the news that, quote, headline from Yahoo Sports, could have been anywhere. Bowl officials call for expanded college football playoff to be played at bowl sites and bowl sites only. No on-campus games. So what do we think about this? Well, it's, as I said in the intro, hot garbage. Obviously, that's what we think about it. Now, I want you to pause for just a second because I know you're already angry about this, as am I. Because in any kind of expanded playoff, what you and I have in common is we all want to see playoff games on campus, as many as possible, because we believe that that is where the best version of college football exists. It does not exist in some corporate NFL stadium a thousand miles away from campus. That's not this sport. That's the Sunday sport. I got no problem with pro football. Got no problem in the NFL. I watch it when I can. I don't also want my college football mixed in with it. Imagine how stupid these people must think you are to believe the quote that I'm about to read from you from the letter that they wrote today. Imagine how stupid they have to take you for, for you to believe that this is true. And I quote, the bowls would provide a neutral, competitively fair setting for these games as they have throughout their history. We're all about competitive balance here all of a sudden. To exclude bowl games from any round of an expanded playoff would be harmful to, notice the word here, bowl season. And bowl season is all caps. The first letter in bowl and the first letter in season is all caps. Because they're not talking about the season, they're talking about the people. I continue. 
individual bowls and their host communities would be hurt too, and postseason college football in general. Uh, the last part is total BS, so you can dismiss that wholly. These people that wrote this letter are expecting you to believe that what should be prioritized here for the betterment of college football is preserving bowl season, translation, the folks who line their pockets during bowl season, and the host communities. Look, I got no problem with the host communities, but you know which communities I care more about? I care more about Auburn, Alabama. I care more about Norman, Oklahoma. I care more about East Lansing, Michigan than I do, in all due respect, the host communities for bowl sites. I love bowl season. I don't want to mess with bowl season. What I'm telling you is, in your precious expanded playoff, you have no business putting more meaningful games in terms of the postseason in neutral sites. That's not what anyone wants. This is not for the betterment of college football. So none of that actually is what it sounds like. They expect you to be stupid enough to buy it. They expect me to be stupid enough to go along with it. Uh, we're not. I mean, if you have sense to turn on a computer or a phone, which you had to have done to watch this show, then you could see through that. But they continue. These people don't live in your world. They never have. Just remember that. They never will. If this happened, though, let's just entertain this. This is what's best for college football, according to the bowl season, as we're going to call them. If that happened, I want you to imagine what life would be like as a fan of, let's say, the number six seed. Because if we're going to a 12-team playoff, then we're given the first several teams buys. I, I think it's four. I can't even remember how it works. But I know if you're the fifth seed or the sixth seed and you are going to make it to the championship game, do you understand what that would ask of those fan bases? If they're going to go to the games, they're going to have to travel to four separate games at four separate neutral bowl-type locations over the span of four weeks. And you can add on to that. Most of them probably played in a conference championship game of some kind that's already in a neutral site. That's probably five in about the span of five or six weeks that they're going to be asked to travel to. Again, on no planet does this make sense for a normal household. The folks that are writing the letters, the folks that are making the statements, they don't live in your world. It's nothing to them. It's not even a dent in their net worth to travel to four games in four weeks or five games in five weeks. But that is beside the point. They don't care about the stadium experience to begin with. They don't treasure the environments of college football to begin with. So to them, this is a moot point. What they would tell you is, well, just sit at home and watch on TV. We'll paper the seats. Papering means corporations who pay the money get blocks of tickets and they'll just give it to people. And that's how you end up with a very sterile environment full of uh, about 30% one fan base, 30% the other fan base, and 40% folks who couldn't name you the starting running back if their lives depended on it. That's the makeup, and this is how you get games played for a national championship in college football in Santa Clara, California, letting these folks make the decisions. Um, so that was my take there, and I want to draw like a hard line because there was this other thing floating around out there today that I wanted to address, and it has to do with the college football playoff. but. It doesn't have really much to do with what we were just talking about. So there we go. We take a pause. We breathe. As I was reading all this, as this letter came out, Heather Dinich of ESPN was talking about mm, certain odds and ends about the college football playoff selection process. And you're looking at her tweet right now. And this is what she said. It doesn't really need context. It stands on its own. It says, the committee's job is to pick the four best teams, it is stated in their protocol. Sometimes there is a conversation in the room. If these teams played today, who would win? 
What do I think about this? One of you asked. Well, I hate it. I hate it. That's what I think about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't support expansion. Also, and this is really going to sound hypocritical, but I'll, I'll spell it out for you in a second. I've actually agreed with the four-team playoff field that these folks have arrived at virtually every year. I've had like one minor beef, but it's been very minor. I think they've gotten it right. However, you can get something right using horrible logic. We can happen to arrive at the same conclusion taking very divergent paths. This has no business in sports. This mentality, the Rutgers athletic director flexing his handicapping skills to determine a playoff field, has no business in a merit-based postseason. It has no business in it. Yet that's what we're talking about here. This is the danger of mixing Las Vegas and sport. There's no danger in the sense of this guy's going to get addicted to gambling. This guy's going to point shade. That's not the danger. The real danger is when people who do not speak this fluently start to try and speak the language and they're in decision-making positions because you got folks out there right now who are very new to the concept of power rating and neutral field and odds making and all this stuff, but yet they're in a room and they're asked to decide a playoff field. And so you've got 12 games that have been played and you have failed, by the way, to define the key data points that are going to be used in the selection process. And so we arrive at that garbage where you got folks sitting around a table who have no business, who have no perfect record against the spread. Therefore, they don't belong in the conversation of determining who's going to be on a postseason field based on their opinion on who would win. And yet that's what's happening. She's telling you right now, Heather Dinich covers this stuff all year. That's what's happening. That's not a good thing. There is a spot, as I have long said, for Vegas-based odds-making logic in the college football selection process. But it's not telling you who'd be favored over who. Because that's why they play the actual games. We've got an entire slate of games this weekend where favorites are going to play underdogs and some underdogs are going to win the game outright. If that's ever happened even once, much less multiple times a week, then you cannot use that as your baseline for selecting a playoff field. What you can do is you can accomplish the same goal, but you can do it this way. Let's say instead of selecting this team over that team because that team would be favored, how about we start using the critical metrics that were used to produce that point spread and call them our data points? Why don't you do that? It's because the people aren't fluent in the language they're speaking. That's why they're not doing that. You know, I'm telling you right now that I've got Auburn minus five over Ole Miss this weekend. And I could, if we had enough time and you didn't fall asleep, I could tell you exactly why I have that number and exactly what we used to arrive at that number. Those would be my data points. I wouldn't tell you I'm putting Auburn in over Ole Miss because I just think they'd win. I would tell you, well, this critical stat and this critical stat and this critical stat in a, you know, a game of inches, that's why I think Auburn's the better team. That's how you would do that. But aside from that, that's not where Vegas belongs in this. I've long since said this. The proper role of Las Vegas in the college football playoff selection process is defining strength of schedule. Because that's where folks have got it wrong the most consistently from what I've seen is proper definition of strength of schedule. Right now, Ohio State next week, regardless of what they do against Penn State, next week they're going to go to Nebraska and play a game. Nebraska in the odds-making and power rating world is a top 25 team right now. Because they've lost a whole bunch of close games, they are not ranked. They're not even close to being ranked. They're sub 500. So in the ranking world, you will have a very, very poor value placed on that Ohio State win if they do indeed go in there and win. Whereas in the power ranking world, in the odds making world, they think a whole lot more of what Ohio State does next week. That 
That's the role. Because if you go on the road and you beat, for instance, UTSA right now, you'd get credit for beating a ranked undefeated team. If you go on the road and beat Nebraska, no one would care. Yet in an odds-making world, you should get more value for going into Lincoln than going to UTSA and winning. So that's kind of stuff I'm talking about. Uh, this whole thing, this whole, well, I think they'd win, so let's put them in. That's not the way the selection process is supposed to work. And you're talking to someone who does power ratings every week. I don't even think my opinion should matter on that front. And I, I'd love to be on the committee, but I wouldn't even value my opinion. That's why they play the football games. It's the whole reason. Come up with the proper data points. Don't arrive at the end stalemated and say, well, I guess it's time to flip a coin. No, it landed upright. It didn't go heads or tails. Okay, well, it's time for us to just decide who we think would win. That's not how that should ever work. The way it should work, though, is you need to find your way to Academy Sports and Outdoors. That's the way it should work. That's how we're all happy. That's how everyone goes home satisfied with a smile on their face. Now, I was fielding an email the other day that was pretty angry. It was from someone in, I think the pronunciation is Sault Ste. Marie. It's in the UP of Michigan, I believe, Upper Peninsula, for those unfamiliar. And they were saying, Josh, love the show. And I, I fully support Academy, but you need to understand there's not an Academy Sports and Outdoors on every street corner the further north you get. That's true. But what I do know about our friends in Sault Ste. Marie and everywhere coast to coast is you've got these in your hand. This is a phone. And you've got these as a laptop over here. Just take my word for it. You've got access to those, which means you have access to the Internet in all likelihood, which means Academy.com is right at your fingertips. And from that point, FedEx and UPS will take care of the rest. Regardless of where you go, brick and mortar, online, academy.com, just make Academy your one-stop shop. That's all we humbly ask on the show because they have taken such good care of us. For all I know, we were only able to buy this microphone because of Academy. They saved the day tonight for all I know, and they are really, really helping us out. It's our only sponsor, and it's that way for a reason. We don't need another one if you pick up what I'm putting down. So academy.com is the spot. If you can't get to a store, if you can get to a store, head there. I know you need fall gear. I know you need tailgating gear. I mean, I, I know the life you guys live because I live the same life. I'm out there with you every week. So get it. By all means, continue to purchase. Got to keep this economy moving somehow. But academy.com is where you want to go to do it. Academy.com, Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are the partner for you because they're the partner for us. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's talk about some week nine predictions, shall we? Got a lot of them to get to here that I haven't already gotten to. So some week nine predictions. Let's start with Penn State, Ohio State. I cannot believe we didn't do this game Tuesday night. But the line is like 18 and a half. What is it? Yeah, it's 18 and a half right now. Uh, disappointed, I guess, is how I am approaching this game, that it's not seemingly more competitive, at least on the surface. So here's the question that I think everyone's asking. How capable is James Franklin of getting his team back? 
Because Penn State, I mean, they're crushed. Got to be crushed after last week. Uh, conversely, Ohio State could not be flying any higher than they are right now. But think about the challenge here. Not only does James Franklin have to get his team back emotionally, health-wise, he's also got to get them to play by far the best game they've played all year. See, it's not just can they go on the road and play at a B-minus level. No, they got to play their A-plus game to have a shot here. And I just have a hard, hard time envisioning that. The second thing I'm thinking about is obviously the health status of Sean Clifford. See, to me, it's all about Penn State. I'm pretty confident with what I'm going to get from Ohio State. But if I were a special teams coach or if I were the defensive coordinator at Penn State, what I would ingrain in my guys all week is assume we don't even have a quarterback. you got to go into this game as you would if your starter was out. Even though he's going to play, pretend he's out. Go into the game knowing you're in full-on need-to-score point mode. You've got to get special teams points. You've got to force turnovers. You've got to score defensive points to give yourself a shot in this game. I don't know how many, 7, 10, 13. I don't know how many, but I do know that's what they're going to need. Then if you get that in combination with maybe more than you expected and certainly more than you got from a not 100% Sean Clifford last week, then at least you can take a shot. At least you got a puncher's chance. But I just wonder, you know, I know this Penn State defense, defense is very good. I just wonder how much pressure will be on C.J. Stroud. Remember when Ohio State played Northwestern? Was it last year? I think maybe. And um, it was a Big Ten championship game. And Northwestern led them, like, like, for a lot of the game. But yet you always had the feel there's not enough pressure on Ohio State. They know Northwestern can't pull away. And eventually, they did. Eventually, they bit them, and then they pulled past them. And that was that, because Northwestern was so limited. That probably is what you end up seeing Saturday. Even if Ohio State has trouble offensively, there won't be probably enough pressure put on Ohio State. How could you ever, knowing what we know about both teams, how could you ever envision Penn State jumping out to a 17-3 lead in this game? The answer is special teams points and defensive points. Outside of that, I don't see it. So the way I went here is Ohio State win. If it's at 18 and a half, the model slightly leans Penn State plus the points. I got to tell you, what I hope happens here, regardless of the outcome, I just hope we don't see a blowout because it would be an ugly week for everyone if we saw a blowout this week. So I'm going to take Ohio State to win, lean Penn State in the points, don't really like uh, either side in that. Texas at Baylor, sneaky game here. It's a noon Eastern time kickoff. Baylor favored by three. Oh, boy. Okay, so Texas is out of the bye, and their biggest problem uh, since the Oklahoma game has been the ability to get good starts but not finish games. So you would figure as much tread as could possibly be on the Longhorn tires will be on those tires this week. Now, having said that, is it enough? Because as you can see, Baylor still favored here. Here's the problem, as I see it for Texas, is even if you do get a complete game, you're going up against the best rushing offense in the Big 12. Now, that would be the Baylor Bears. 238 per game, a little over six yards per carry. And what did we see do Texas in? In fact, in these games, they've lost. The Oklahoma game, you just pick one. What did them in? It's given up huge, huge amounts of rush yardage on the ground, which is normally where rush yardage happens, by the way. And so I don't necessarily know that it looks different here. Here's what I think happens. What I think happens is Texas has enough big playability, and, and whatever they can empty out of the bag, they empty it this week. And so I think we're going to look at a game where Texas finds a way to win, but then when we pull up the box score, 
Baylor will have dominated time of possession. They will have gotten their yards on the ground, maybe even outgained Texas. There's just some way Texas found a way to make one more play. Uh, they have no margin for error. Texas has got to win every game if they want a shot at the Big 12 championship. And so I'm going to take Texas. I don't have a good feel on that one either. Normally, I save the games I don't have a good feel on until Thursday. How about Miami at Pitt? Uh, this one is a weather special. Weather meaning I don't like Miami going this far north this late in the season. And so immediately when I see Miami at Pitt, I mean, this was preseason. When you looked at the schedule, you said, oh, last week in October, they're going where? Just mental note, make sure you check the weather. Well, we have rain and temperatures around 50 degrees. So not exactly South Florida. Uh, but the model and I disagree on this game, or do we? Because I kind of flip-flopped as I was walking into the studio. So here's where my head's at here. Yes, you do have Pitt in what you consider a letdown spot. Uh, yes, it is that early, sleepy, noontime, 11 central kickoff. But the dynamic I don't like is even if Miami pulls this off, and they are, by the way, a nine-point dog, even if the Canes pull it off, what it's going to have to include is Tyler Van Dyke, who is the quarterback there now ever since King was out. Tyler Van Dyke's going to have to throw the ball a lot. Now, I don't think Miami's running the ball up and down the field on Pitt. Pitt is very good, good enough at least, at generating pressure. And my problem in trying to see an upset here and this is where I disagree with the model. The model likes Miami. I mean, it likes them to possibly pull the upset. I don't because I think that on their way to pulling the upset, they're going to have to throw the ball too much. And in those kinds of conditions, I like Pitt to win a turnover battle. It's hard to predict that, but I just think if you're playing percentages, it's a lot more likely that you see Pitt force some mistakes than it is for this offense and this team in desperation mode and this staff under immense pressure to go on the road and just perform at high precision levels that we haven't seen them perform at all year, to be frank. And so I went pit. And then I thought to myself, if that starts to happen, you could quickly kick a snowball down the hill. So I went all the way past the model. The model's sitting there saying, hey, possible Miami upset here. And I said, no model. I shut the computer. I said, I think Pitt's going to win. And I think Pitt's going to cover. And if that happens, I can almost assure you we're going to be talking about Manny Diaz in some shape, form, or fashion on Tuesday or Thursday of next week. FSU is at Clemson. If I were to have told you in the preseason that Florida State is going to be less than a 10-point dog in Tiger Stadium, you would have thought, what happened to DJ? When did he get hurt? What week did he get hurt? He hasn't. Starting quarterback's there for Clemson. This is just the way that the season has unfolded. So again, this is a 3.30 kick. Clemson minus nine and a half. FSU has been running the ball exceptionally well. I mean, they were playing some of their best ball. Uh, as of late, Clemson has been what Clemson's been all year. I really don't think there have been a whole lot of ups and downs. It's just been, it's been consistent, just been consistently poor. But I look and I think about what has to happen. Not for FSU to cover, but if they were to pull the upset. Kind of the same situation with Miami. What would have to happen? Well, FSU's got to run the ball, and they got to run the ball very effectively. I don't think that's going to happen against Clemson. I think they'll run it okay. I don't think they'll run it at a high level, which means they're going to have to do some stuff that they're probably not totally comfortable doing. And you get into a situation kind of like with Pitt and Miami where you're just a lot more prone to making mistakes here. Now, here's the good news. Clemson should not be able to pull away in this game. So you should not come out of the tunnel already in desperation mode in the first quarter and Mike Norvell's heaving it up left and right. That shouldn't be the way that this unfolds. But my fear is what happens if Florida State can't run at all? Well, you know, what if instead of 
uh, 6.2 yards per carry. It's 2.6 yards per carry. And then all of a sudden, you're having to throw it, and they know you're going to throw it. I think it's a recipe where Clemson wins the game. Model thinks the number is right. I, I, I picked Clemson by 10. So, I mean, by the slimmest of margins, I think they'll win and maybe backdoor cover this thing. Uh, but I, I think there will be a majority of this game where Florida State is close enough to where one of those Bob plays, those bounce of ball plays could change the outcome. And I think that you'll probably be texting your buddies, especially if you're an ACC fan, several times saying, hey, click, 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 click. FSU's hanging in there. They're still in there. I don't think Clemson's going to pull away. But I do think at the very end, they may stretch it enough to cover. So I'll take Clemson to win, Clemson to cover. Uh, last game I wanted to touch on here, North Carolina's at Notre Dame. I could have sworn to you in the preseason, this is where we would have been this weekend for the late kick renaissance tour. Because look at what else we have. It was either going to be Penn State at Ohio State, it was going to be Georgia, Florida, or it was going to be North Carolina at Notre Dame. And it ends up being none of them. We're headed to Michigan State. That's why you plan your future in pencil, kids. Plan your seasons and your lives in pencil. This is the first game for Notre Dame after losing Kyle Hamilton. Talented safety there. They lost him for the year. I don't know that North Carolina is necessarily the best team to be drawing once you've lost uh, one of your high-caliber safeties, which is why Notre Dame knows this is no mystery. They need to control the game, same way they did last time they played North Carolina. Control the game. That means you can't be letting someone jump out two scores on you early. So there's a lot of incentive to obviously come out, have things under control. You know, don't let someone pop you on special teams early. This is not a game to settle into for Notre Dame. This is a very, very well-balanced team now, especially with Jack Cohn playing the way he is. It's a very well-balanced team. I think the same theme exists here as in the last two games. What North Carolina will have to do, because I don't think they'll have a ton of success running the ball, it's the same thing. They're going to have to throw it. Now, they got the cat to do it if he's on. If he's not on, we've already seen what's happened multiple times this year. Model likes Notre Dame a lot here. I do, too. I think it's a, I think it's a different Irish team since they came out of their bye week. They're playing their best ball. I think they are kind of pulling one of those Clemsons. They're going to peak at the right time. They're not going to peak at as high a level as 2018 Clemson, let's say. But I like Notre Dame to win. I like Notre Dame to cover there. That's a good set of games now, and that's all throughout the day. It wasn't all in one chunk of like noon or all in 3.30. A lot of games there to pay attention to. Okay, I'm going to end the show with something that I can't even stress to you enough. Maybe hundreds of you have asked about. Several dozen, if not hundreds of you, have asked about this. So let's talk about it. James Franklin has had an interesting month. He's had a very interesting week. We have gone from Penn State flying high and looking like they could be a fringe playoff contender to losing at Iowa and then just getting a death blow right to the shins against Illinois all the while, you got James Franklin's name up for a bunch of jobs. You got USC here. You got LSU there. Who knows? And so um, I've been asked by a lot of you, point blank, I addressed it on the podcast this morning, actually, do I think that James Franklin is going to be the head coach at Penn State in 2022? My short answer is yes. I lean that way. I still think he's going to be the head coach there. That is purely speculative. I don't have any inside information. I don't know any more than you do about that. Just using a little intuition there. But I don't think it's decided is what I'm telling you. So the big news out of this whole week about James Franklin has been from the press conference he had a couple of days ago. I mean, that James Franklin presser with the local beat there was eye-opening to me. And I'm going to first tell you what he said. So what he said was, I'm fiercely loyal to Penn State. I'm fiercely loyal to the players here, to the staff. But there are many moving parts. A lot of you took that to be coded. 
a lot of you took that to be disingenuous or a little bit deceitful. I'm so totally opposite here. I think it was the most honest statement he could have made. I think that's total truth serum. I mean, I think that's literally a guy pouring his heart out to you. And if you can interpret what he's saying, he's not telling you there are a lot of moving parts as in, I may go take this job. I may go take that job. If you know the Penn State situation, you know, that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is, I love Penn State. They got to love me back. Here's where the disconnect comes in. Here's where folks who casually understand college football from a 40,000 foot level do not get it enough to criticize guys like this on the ground level. It doesn't matter how much he's being paid. James Franklin makes a ton of money. It doesn't matter within the context of what he's talking about. I could double his salary today. He would not have gotten what he's asking for. What he's asking for extends beyond how many zeros are on his paycheck. And that's what I think a lot of people miss in this whole thing. You have got to understand how intricate an operation, a major college football program is. And you got to understand the standard that you're held to if you're at Penn State. When they look at you at Penn State, they look at you on Saturday. And they see, obviously, what you make. Uh, They see how big your roster is. They see how big your stadium is. They see the pageantry. They see the tradition. They see you getting the good TV slots. They think you got everything you need. Well, he doesn't. James Franklin's got everything he needs to beat lower level teams. He would dominate because they have inferior resources, but he's not asked to dominate the FCS. James Franklin is asked to compete on the same level that Nick Saban's at, Ryan Day, the guy he's going to play in 48 hours is at, Kirby Smart and the like. And the fact of the matter is, behind the scenes, he's not given what those guys have. But you don't know it because it's not apparent on Saturday. Penn State has Saturday resources. I was up there last month. It's one of the best game day environments imaginable. It's a great community. Everything you see on Saturday is great. Where are you on a random Tuesday when they're bringing recruits in in January? You don't see it. You don't see it. So you don't see maybe if this portion of the program's inadequate or this portion of the facilities are inadequate. Like, how would you ever know if the facilities for the freshmen that come in are adequate or not? How would you know how those measure up to what they have in Columbus, Ohio? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. But yet that's what determines oftentimes whether you land the top tier recruits or not. So imagine if you got families coming in and they're looking at what you have and then they're saying, Coach, um, I like you and I like this program. And I grew up maybe even rooting for this program. But did you know, as, as he pulls out his pen and paper, did you know that the other school that's recruiting me has this, this and this? Where, where is that here? At that point, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter because what you need for the lifeblood of this sport, which is recruiting, is not present, at least plentifully enough. It's not present. Now you go back to the quote from James Franklin when he says there are a lot of moving parts. What he understands is I got leverage because I'm valued enough. I'm a target and I've got to use it. It's my only shot. I've got to get more yeses around here. Essentially, James Franklin is trying to do what Kirby Smart did. When Kirby Smart walked into Georgia, before he even signed pen to paper, He understood he had to convince those people. They thought they were serious about football. They weren't serious enough. Because on Saturdays, those folks had grown accustomed to complaining and grumbling because Mark Richt wasn't meeting the Nick Saban standard. What they didn't understand is on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they were not giving Mark Richt what Nick Saban had in Tuscaloosa. Makes it totally unfair. I'm telling you point blank, James Franklin ain't got what Ryan Day has in Columbus, Ohio. They're going to play Saturday. And some people may think, Well, you know, he's losing games now, so that means he's losing his leverage. He's not losing any leverage. I can promise you right now, 
if you think you got the right guy, you don't care how many games he's losing in the wrong car. Because you know once you put him in your car, then he's going to win. So anyone who thinks James Franklin is the right guy for their job is not turned off if they understand what the score is in State College, Pennsylvania. Because they just look at it and say, poor dude, he doesn't have up there what he's going to have here. I guarantee you that. When he gets here and we give him those yeses on those no's he's getting up there, well, that'll be a new day. Then we'll see the real James Franklin. Look, you can choose to believe in that or you don't believe in him. I, I, don't, I don't really care. I'm not sitting here carrying water for the guy. I'm just trying to tell you it doesn't always mean what it appears to mean on the surface when guys make that kind of statement. I'll tell you what he could have done. What he could have done is said no comment. What he is telling you is the truth. I believe this. I have not spoken to James Franklin about this. I believe what he said is the truth. He said, let's, re, let's reiterate. He said, I'm fiercely loyal to Penn State. I believe that's true. I don't believe he wants to go anywhere. He said, I'm loyal to the players. I'm loyal to the staff, but there are a lot of moving parts. That translates to me, to I am telling these folks here who are in position to make decisions that I need this and I need this and I need this and I am not getting enough traction. And I'm looking at the competition and I'm looking at programs that we lose kids to on the recruiting trail and they got it and I don't. At a certain point, it doesn't matter. They could double my salary. They could triple my salary. I'm not going to win. You may look at James Franklin. Maybe you think he's not winning because he's not good enough. Maybe you think that. I don't know that I'm at that point. Maybe you think that. But I'm telling you what reality is and what he thinks and what I believe a lot of administrators may be in a position to offer him a job elsewhere thing. They probably look at it and say, I don't really care that he lost to Illinois. He lost to Illinois because he didn't have enough good players. He didn't have enough good players because he couldn't get them on campus and to sign with them. And he couldn't get them to sign with them because they don't have adequate enough this, 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 and this. At our place, he will have all that. Therefore, he will get the players. Therefore, we're not losing to Illinois. So I don't really care about that. It'll be taken care of here. James Franklin's got leverage. Don't think for a second that losing some of these games recently has lost him leverage. Now, I'll tell you what else I think he's done. I think he's also measured the risk-reward here. Because there are some valid counters to this. The valid counters, you talk to a Penn State fan long enough, they'll tell you they're worried about this being used against Penn State in recruiting. And they're worried about this maybe souring the administration because James Franklin has pulled this before. And so they're worried that maybe we're going to be even less likely to get changes than we were before he opened his mouth and started talking again. He's not stupid. James Franklin's long since calculated all that in his mind. All that risk has been calculated and it's been accepted and he's moved anyway. Because I'll tell you what he's thinking. He won't probably be around there to accept the consequences of that risk. Because if he doesn't get what he wants, he's going to leave. And you are going to be worse off for it. Because you may think to yourself, well, if James Franklin leaves here, we'll go find ourselves another good coach. It's irrelevant if he's not going to have any more resource to work with than James Franklin has. I am not painting this as some poverty-stricken program. Please understand me. Penn State's in the top 10 to maybe even top 5% in the country, but you're not asking them to win nine games. You're not settling for the Citrus Bowl. We're wanting to do something more. At least that's my understanding from Penn State fans. We're wanting to do something more. So it's not on you guys. I'm just saying the standard there is more than just pretty good seasons. I think he's maxed out his potential. I think that program is maxed out its potential relative to what he has to work with now. You cannot be giving him, you cannot be giving him what Mark Richt had and expect Kirby Smart results. Can't do it. I've already watched it happen down here in my backyard. You can't do it. You want what they have in Columbus, Ohio. Give him what he's got. 
in Columbus, Ohio. Give him what Ryan Day has. And then if he fails, then it's on him. I don't put it fully on him yet. I mean, that guy's had a really, really good track record. I don't put it solely on him. And he's not the one asking to have excuses made for him. I just know I got a vision in my head of what Penn State football should be, and it's not quite there. And I don't solely know that it's just at the feet of the head coach. I think there's a lot more, uh, to hear him put it, a lot more moving parts maybe than is apparent on the surface. So that's my take on that right now. Uh, opinion always subject to change. All right. Good show. Thanks for the prop mic that came in handy. We actually had to use it this time. Director Collins scurrying around, able to get a show on air, and our folks down in Fort Lauderdale as well. Uh, hopefully we've got our audio situation rectified where we can hit on time Sunday night, but one way or the other, we will be here. Stay tuned for start time, but we will be here. Until then, I'm headed to Michigan State tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you guys up there. Wherever you are, have yourselves a great and safe and dry and warm somehow weekend. I'll see you Sunday night. Until then, take care and God bless.